did you see the title of today's message? Positively selfless. Wow, what could be positive about being selfless? I mean, I think for, for a lot of people, unfortunately, including me, we do not see a lot of upside to being selfless. I think selfishness tends to be kind of hardwired to our souls. It's kind of our, our default position as human beings is to be selfish. And if you don't think that you like struggle with selfishness at all, wait until a really close ninth inning in a Dodger game, Hector. And then just hand the remote over to a three-year-old and say, what would you rather watch, right? It's like, no, to give me that remote control. Or a Raiders game, right? It's like, man, no, all of a sudden, mine, that remote is mine. I think a lot of us struggle with the uh, ideas of selfishness. And, and it's, it's something that is it's not only like ingrained into our soul, like at the DNA level to be selfish, but then it's reinforced and we're like taught, no, it's, it's okay to be selfish. I mean, advertisers do it all the time. You know, even good old Ronald McDonald, remember, you know, you deserve a break today, Roxanne. Uh, you deserve, do you remember those old commercials? And we're taught like, man, you work hard. You deserve this. And so we're, we're, we're taught to be selfish. It's reinforced so many different ways. And if that isn't enough, then like people come alongside and say, no, really, it's not being selfish. You're just self-protecting. Because if you don't protect yourself, people are gonna take advantage of you. So it's okay, right? It's okay to push people off and to protect number one. You know, you gotta protect yours and uh, you, know, you gotta protect yourself. And so it's reinforced, this idea it's that, that we should be selfish. So selfishness is the default operating system of humanity. And if we don't address it with God's help, not only will it cost us relationships, it is also going to destroy our mission, our very life's purpose that God has given us if we don't get after this. Now, what we've been discovering in the book of Philippians over the last weeks is that the Apostle Paul keeps taking these ideas, even like self, selflessness, things that would seem in our human perspective to be quite negative, but he puts this totally other spin on it, and he helps us to begin seeing these things through God's perspective, and, he, and he's giving us a new vision for how to live our lives as followers of Jesus, how to live our lives as gospel people. So we're going to pick up today talking about selflessness at the very beginning of Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in a letter to his friends in the city of Philippi. He said this, he said, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit if any tenderness and compassion, and basically what he's saying, 
If God has touched your life in any way whatsoever, I've got something to tell you here. If God has done anything for you, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Well, how do we do that? And he goes on, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What Paul is highlighting here is one of the most significant differences between those who are gospel people, people who are set on following after Jesus, and he's showing the difference between people who are followers of Jesus and those who are not in relationship with God at all. And here's the difference. Gospel people live for others. I mean, that is a, that's a big, bold statement, but we're going to be unpacking that here. Paul is teaching us here in Philippians chapter 2 that selflessness, did you catch it there in Philippians 2, has to do with where we place our value. Paul says, value others above yourselves. I mean, what, is exact, what exactly does that mean? Because it actually sounds rather counterintuitive to everything that we know about life. Remember, selfishness is like our default position as human beings, hardwired to our souls. So what, is it, what does it mean to value others above ourselves? So I want to I do something here. I want to do a little math with you, okay? And if you remember math, there is the greater than symbol, and, you know, whatever the greater than symbol is pointing towards is a thing that has lesser value. And so I want to put up a little math equation here for you. Go ahead, put it up. And it says this, says the value of others is less than my value. Now, right there, I mean, that is the, like the default human perspective. My value is greater than your value. And that's how we're, we kind of are raised. That's kind of how a lot of us view life through that, you know, through that filter, through that perspective, that my value is greater than yours. But I just want to ask you for a moment, how does that work for you? How, how is that working for you? If you're married, how would that equation work for you long-term in marriage? Maybe you're not married. What about just like a close friendship that you have? How would that work for you if you consistently are putting yourself over that other individual? You're valuing your own stuff, your own time. I mean, we can think about this and, you know, time, talent, and treasure. And if it's like, no, it's like, no, this is mine. And can I tell you, I mean, I struggle with this. This is something that I have to battle consistently because right here, this little math equation is what I would just default to if I am not careful. And when we live this way, it really does. It rips apart relationship 
and it, it really fractures our ability to be people who are on mission for Jesus. So then there's a second equation because we might think that this is the goal. And here's the second one where there's an equal sign where the value of others equals my value. In fact, I think that that's kind of like what we're taught is the American ideal. Like, hey, you're no better than me, but I'm no better than you. You know, we're all created equal. But here's what we see in America. (laughs) When push comes to shove, I'm a little more equal than you are, right? I mean, we say that we're equal. We, we say that it's, it's all the same, you know, equal justice, equal opportunity, all those sort of things. But when things really hit the fan, I'm protecting myself. I'm protecting my interests. I'm protecting my value over yours. And so that tends to really look good on paper, but fall apart in real life. And then we come to this third math equation, and this is the gospel perspective that we've been talking about. And that is where the value of others is actually greater than my value. Oh, and you know what? It looks like I didn't do the equation right on the screen there. (laughs) I saw some of you looking perplexed. Yeah, this is what we live like unless there is Jesus involved, okay? Yes, we just default, right? It's the default uh, mechanism. You can go ahead and take away the math from the screen. (laughs) But the question is, which way is that arrow pointing in your life? I'm kind of glad that I messed up on that because it does reinforce the, the idea that without God's help, we just default back to thinking that we and our value is greater than the value and importance of others. It really does. But I want you to think about something about that equation when we get it right, okay? When, when actually the, the arrow is pointed at us. And so it's like, no, we actually believe that the value of others is greater than our value. I want you to think about something for a moment. When we get that right, when we get that in the perspective that God is showing us here, it doesn't diminish your value at all. It doesn't diminish your value at all. In fact, when you get this right, there is no subtraction to your side of who you are. But rather, it's actually saying, I'm gonna take my value, everything that God has instilled in me, and I am now going to use that as benefit for the other. I'm going to put, like Paul said, I'm going to put, I am choosing to put their interests above my interests. I'm going to assign them a value that is greater than the value I assign myself. But listen, being selfless has nothing to do with being worthless has nothing to do with being worthless. In fact, I'm going to press you on this just a little further. I don't believe that you and I can learn to be selfless unless we first learn our value, our worth, and even our rights. When we understand our value, when we understand our, our worth, when we understand our rights, then we have a choice to make. 
Am I going to exert my rights? Am I going to say, no, I am of more value than you are? Or are we going to confront that with God's help by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, actually, I am going to now use my rights. I'm going to use my worth and my value to serve the other whether it's my spouse, whether it's my children, whether it's my friends, or whether it's my neighbors, or even those who are in opposition to me. Does that make sense? Selflessness has nothing to do with worthlessness. It has to do with understanding our value in Christ and then choosing to use that to serve others. So here's kind of our working definition of selflessness. You can go ahead and put it up on the screen. This is how we're talking about selflessness. Selflessness is the choice that I make to live for the benefit of others. It is a decision to surrender my rights so that others can thrive. I believe this. I believe that selflessness is the greatest characteristic of a person of strength. I think only those people who are really strong, who understand their value, understand their worth and their rights, can choose to surrender those for the benefit of others. Selflessness is the greatest characteristic of true strength. So, but why would we do this? Why would we set aside our rights? I mean, we're Americans, right? We, we value our rights. Why would we do that? Well, Paul actually talks quite a bit about that in, in the different letters that he writes. And in a letter that he writes to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians, he talks extensively about our rights. I mean, there's several chapters about our rights. Our rights as married couples, our rights in the church, and, and just our rights in like how we treat one another, even in lawsuits. I mean, it's very practical stuff about selflessness. But I want to point out a couple of reasons that Paul addresses about why we would want to do this. Why would we want to move toward selflessness and even lay down our rights in order to serve others? So, in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us the first of two reasons why we would want to move toward selflessness. He talks about food, and then we're going to see he talks about money. Why was he talking about food? Because at that time, in the city of Corinth, animals were still being sacrificed in pagan temples. Like they were, like the meat was literally being offered to the gods, right? Not the God of the universe, but to all kinds of other idols. And so what Paul is being asked by the Corinthians is like, Paul, does this matter? Like, is it okay that we like go and buy some of that meat from the market, you know, that was sacrificed to idols? Because we know that like, there's only one real God. So like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal, Paul? Is it okay for us to eat meat that's been offered to idols. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, this is how Paul responds to that question that they've raised. He says, now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know 
we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Now, in your Bibles, if you're reading a different version, or you may be more familiar with the, the passage that says um, that knowledge puffs up, right? Makes me feel all proud, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, makes me feel superior, makes me feel like I've got the answer on this. But it's love that actually builds up others. Here's what Paul is saying here in this really kind of profound statement. He's saying that our rights are informed by knowledge, right? I I know what's true. I know what's up. And in this case, it's my right to eat whatever I want whenever I want to. You can't tell me what not to eat. It's my right. And it doesn't even matter because there's only one God anyway. These idols are nothing. And guess what? If you keep reading in Acts chapter eight, you're gonna find that Paul actually believes that. It's like, we know that these idols really are nothing, but here's the point that Paul is making, that our love for others must be greater than what we so proudly know to be right. Our love must surpass our rights and even our knowledge. He goes on, he picks up this conversation a little bit further down in verse 11 of the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 8. And he says this, he says, so because of your superior knowledge, meaning like demanding your right to eat this meat that's been sacrificed to idols, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. Now, what what does Paul mean by a weak believer? It means that they don't have the full knowledge that you do. All they're seeing is like, man, this, this meat was like offered up to this idol and you're eating it? How, how could you do that? I mean, doesn't that discredit God? Doesn't that, doesn't that say something wrong about how we follow God? I mean, they don't have the strength of knowledge that you do. You're like, no, 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 idols are nothing. There's only one real God anyway. What they did with that meat before it got to me does not matter, right? It's that knowledge that informs that right. I can eat it if I want to eat it. But he says, because of your uh, superior knowledge, you're demanding your right to eat whatever you want, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. I mean, this is like pretty major. That like if we demand our rights, guess what? We are going to trample over others. And he actually says, hey, hey guys, hey gospel people, those of you that are really working to follow Jesus with your life, that's actually sin when we, when we do that. It is selfishness that completely violates and goes against 
the love of Jesus. And so then he finishes this statement right here. He goes on and he says something that is like, wow, this is so amazing. Paul says this, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. I mean, that is a radical statement of selflessness. I mean, I, I will never eat meat again. Like, I will not let anything come between me and my love for other people. I'm going to put them, what am I going to do? I'm going to make sure that greater than sign is pointed in the right direction, is pointed towards me. I'm going to value others even above myself. I like meat, right? Believe me, Paul wasn't saying this because he was a vegan or vegetarian. Paul was saying this because of his love for others that I'm going to put this aside for my entire life if it would cause someone else to walk into sin. Now, probably for you and me, we're not thinking about tri-tip, we're not thinking about uh, laying aside meat, but could there be other things that we are doing that other people don't have the freedom to do? You know, with, with many people in, in the house that I grew up in, it was, that choice my parents made was alcohol. That just was not part of our family's story. Why, is it because alcohol sin? No, it's not. The Bible's very clear about that. It says, don't get drunk. It doesn't say, don't consume an alcoholic beverage. But in my family's um, household where I grew up, my parents made a decision to lay aside. And my dad, like, he really enjoyed a glass of wine, right? He really enjoyed that. But he made a conscious choice that, like, there are going to be other people who, if I am enjoying that freedom, are going to get led into something that could be destructive in their life, in their situation. And so I am making a decision. I'm just going to like put it out of my life. I'm just like not going to go in that particular direction. And by the way, I'm not saying that because I believe that you should do that, right? I'm saying that because we all have to deal with this. Is my love for others greater than my rights to do what I want to do? Because I know I could have a beer. I could have that glass of wine. I could, I could do that, and God's not bothered by that in the least. Unless what I'm doing is actually sinning and causing someone else to stumble, right? So Paul addresses this food issue and uses that as a way to talk about how we can move towards selflessness by laying aside our rights. But then he keeps going in chapter 9, and now he goes from food to money, all right, so in, in uh, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, verse 12, he says this. He says, if you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have even a greater right? You hear that word right? Shouldn't we have even a greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right we would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Wow, this is pretty amazing. 
So what Paul is describing here is that the church in Corinth that he started, I mean, Paul was the guy who led all these people to Jesus and started their church. They weren't helping him financially, but they were helping others, right? They were, they were giving financially, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, Kelly and I appreciate that this church has chosen to uh, support their pastors and leaders who, who uh, serve here. Thank you. Yay. That's good. And Paul was saying, yeah, it's really good that you're doing that for others. But do you realize that if anybody had the right to receive compensation or some financial support for ministry, hey, guys, it's me. But you know what? I am laying down that right. I, am, I don't want any part of that. Because you know what? If that would become an obstacle for the greater mission, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I am laying down that right. So what we see is that Paul is saying, hey, here's the real mission. It is the preaching of the good news about Christ. And so I never exercised my right to be supported by you because I didn't want it to become an obstacle to our mission. So first in chapter eight, he talked about selflessness being guided by our love. Now he takes it and says, actually, also selflessness is guided by our mission. What is our mission? Well, it's bringing others the good news of Jesus. Whenever we demand our rights, it destroys mission. But whenever we walk in selflessness, it actually tears down obstacles and clears a, clear, a clearer path to the gospel, which is our mission. And then he says something even more extreme in verse 19 of chapter 9. He says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a, a what? A slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Again, he is doing two things here. He is re-emphasizing, hey, everybody, this is my mission, to bring as many people as I can to Jesus. I want to rob hell and populate heaven. That's my mission. And I am going to do anything in my power to do that, including walking in such extreme selflessness that you could even describe it as slavery. I'm willing to, like, become the slave of others if it is going to allow me to accomplish my mission, which is the gospel. It's bringing others into the presence and knowledge of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Why should we choose to live selflessly? Because it is our mission to see others brought to Jesus. And he finishes this chapter, chapter 9, with a pretty amazing statement that I think a lot of us haven't seen connected to this idea of selflessness. But at the end of the chapter, he says this. He says, in verses 23 through 25, he says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Run to win. 
He's, he's redefining what a win looks like for a gospel person, for someone who's following Jesus. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will do what? Will fade away. But we, gospel people, followers of Jesus, we do it for an eternal prize. Why do I live selflessly, Paul is saying? To win. This is my win. Because all selfish pursuits are going to end with something that will, what he says, fade away. It just has a really, really short shelf life on anything that I can gain through a selfish pursuit. But when I make my mission the gospel and choose to live selflessly, laying down my rights because of my love for others, because I really know my mission, guess what? I'm doing it for an eternal prize. That is truly winning. And, and did you notice that, that phrase right there at the beginning of that verse? He says, I do everything to spread the gospel or the good news and share in its blessings. God is reminding us there is actually a blessing attached to selflessness. That it's not just like, okay, I, I guess, you know, I'm just going to get beat up on. And, and you know, again, that, that idea that, that somehow selflessness is worthlessness, and it's not. He's saying, no, there's actually a blessing attached to walking in selflessness. There is, there's something that I came across that really supports this idea, uh, and it was not just in Scripture. I actually came across this article written in Psychology Today, and this is what it says. Let me read you a bit of this article that supports this idea that there is blessing in selflessness. It says this, says, a new study suggests that giving social support to others may benefit the giver more than the receiver on a neurobiological level. When the researchers conducted a series of tests to explore how specific brain areas are affected by giving versus receiving social support, they found out, are you ready for this? They found out that giving ultimately had greater brain benefits than receiving, including reducing stress-related brain activity and increasing reward-related activity. That is really cool. And guess what? 2,000 years before that, Jesus said this. Giving, right? Which is better, giving or receiving? Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. Now, it took researchers 2,000 years to realize, oh, wow, Jesus was right. There's a blessing that comes. There's something that happens within you and me on even a neurobiological level that says, Man, there is a blessing. There is something triggered in me when I choose to move towards selflessness and give rather than just receive. Isn't that awesome? So you might be saying, all right, okay, I, I'm, I'm buying, buying what you're selling here. Uh, you know, it's like, I'd like to move towards selflessness, but I don't know what that might look like in my situation. So I want to give just kind of five 
quick ideas of what selflessness might look like. Maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood or in your social situation. But I want to give five things, and I would just suggest these are kind of like priming the pump because there are a million different examples of what selflessness might look like. And if you need more, just go talk to a mom that has a few kids, all right? They will tell you all about selflessness. But let me give you just a few, like, examples of what selflessness might look like in our lives. Number one, serve those who can't serve you back. I mean, people who literally don't really have the ability to scratch your back when you scratch theirs. Now, I'm thinking about our Safari Kids ministry here at church. I mean, we are seeing great things happening on Tuesday nights, and I'm telling everybody here and for the world to hear, as soon as we are able to rejoin our kids on Sunday mornings, guess what? It is so much in the DNA of our church to care for and resource and love on the next generation. We are gonna wanna do that. But are you gonna be ready to like give to kids? To say, no, I, I, wanna, I wanna learn how to move selflessly. Well, great, you wanna move selflessly? Go rock a baby, right, with a poopy diaper. Um, Care for children in the name of Jesus. Love on kids. They may not be able to reciprocate that, but that's okay. Love kids. Here's another thing, and I know this is happening in, in a number of families, even within our church family. I'm looking at one of them right here. And that is for caring for an older generation. Amen? Care, listen, what, what would it look like to care for aging parents, grandparents, or if you don't have that within your family system, there's a whole lot of people in our community that could use the love and care that you would bring to them, right? But they have no way to reciprocate that. You're going to go mow their yard, guess what? They ain't coming back to mow yours. It's just serving people who are not able, right, to serve you back. Great example. Number two, this is something that we can all do and we can do it today. Listen well. I think this is something that I have really had to work on and learn, and I've had some mentors really speak this into my life. Oftentimes, I would find that I was only listening so that I could figure out when to put in my words, right? I'm going to add my value to this conversation, rather than listening well and expressing through my listening ear, hey, you're important and what you have to say matters and has worth. And so by just listening well, like shutting up and listening to what someone else would have to say, I'm actually communicating by that that I value you. Now, the third thing I think even amplifies that point number two even more. How about if we did this? How about if not only do we listen well, how about if we thank people for sharing opinions that we disagree with? Go ahead and put up that third slide. Thank others for sharing opinions that we disagree with. Listen, it's easy to thank people when they say something that we really find value in. But when we disagree with people, what would it look like if we say, you know what? I really appreciate your insight there. 
Now, I may come at it a little different. I may, I may come to a little bit different conclusion than you've come to. But man, I thank, I thank you for saying something that is very different than what I would have said. Do you think that that might transform our political season that we're in right now? If we took on a little bit more selflessness in conversations, not only learning to listen well, but also even thanking people who give a, an opposing point of view. I think it can radically shift the political landscape. And guess what? It's also going to promote our mission, which is actually leading people to Jesus. Rather than any time someone says something that we disagree with, what do we do? We pound on them and say, my value, my worth, my rights are greater than yours. But I don't think that's what we see in the biblical narrative. I don't think that's what we are taught as gospel people. So not only should we listen well, but we should do what we're taught in Proverbs, and that is to give a gentle answer that turns away wrath. Here's a couple more. Number four, forgive. Forgive those who have hurt you. I mean, that is so countercultural because we know if someone has hurt me, I have the right to get them back. I have the right to my pain and I have the right to be like the judge, jury, and executioner in their story. Scripture tells us something very different. Forgive. Forgiveness, I believe, is one of the greatest acts of selflessness that we could participate in, is offering forgiveness to those who have hurt us. And I'll move on quickly, right? And then the last one, I love this, and that is make others the hero. See, we like to make ourselves the hero of the story, Maybe you're at work and something goes really well and, you know, there was several people involved, but it's like, hey, I want the pats on the back. I want people to recognize me. I want the bonus, right? I, I, wanna, I want people to like say, wow, you did such a great job. What about if we make other people the hero of the story? Hey, check out what they did. And you're now giving the pats on the back. You're actually, what are you doing? You're elevating others, and their contribution. It's a simple way, and yet one that we don't always rush to when things are happening in our surroundings that actually go well. Man, if there is anything that has happened within the success and fruitfulness of our church family in the last six months, seven months, guess what? It is due to, and I've said this before, but to Pastor Sergio and Pastor Kelly. I am making them, once again, the heroes of this story. It has, done, it has had very little to do with me, right? I'll show up and preach. But other people have done so much heavy lifting, right, to, to make any of this possible that we get to experience as a church family. Make other people the heroes. Listen, I want to close with this. A lot of us grew up knowing the golden rule, right? Do to others what you would want them to do for you. It's really good. I mean, is, that, is it really good?
Come on. Is it good? Is the golden rule good? But we can mistakenly believe that that is the highest standard for what God would expect of us. Right? We could think that that's God's highest standard. It's not. There is a golden rule, but there's actually a platinum rule. I would like to share the platinum rule with you. It's what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. And let me just read it to you. It says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way, in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's not just do what others would do to you and that's how we should behave, but it's actually going far beyond that. It's actually learning to love people the same way that Jesus loved us. The platinum rule is selflessness. The platinum rule is to actually lay down our rights, to lay down everything that we would believe is, it's my right, it's, I'm, I'm a value in putting others in their place. But it's actually using the value that I have in Christ to benefit and serve others. I pray that we would all learn this together and learn to be positively selfless. Let's pray. God, we need your help with this. God, we ask for your spirit to enable us, Lord Jesus, to be as you were, which was, God, you were selfless. You came laying down all the rights of heaven to serve humankind, to serve us. And God, we are so grateful. In fact, we're eternally grateful. And we're gonna have all eternity to worship you, to thank you, to be with you because of what you did on the cross for us. And here we just read your words, Jesus, to love others in the same way that you've loved us. And I know that there may be people that are here in our sanctuary, in the courtyard, and many more online that right now are, are having to wrestle with, okay, if he loved me that much, have I said yes to his love? Have I said yes to Jesus? Have I said yes to his offer of salvation and love? Or have I kind of just held God back at, at arm's length or maybe further? Maybe I've kind of run to do my own thing, to live my own life, to find my own worth and my own value because it's my right to do so. Rather than setting aside my rights and saying, Jesus, I want to receive that gift that I can only receive by coming to you with open hands and open arms and saying, would you give to me, God, what only you could give. And so now friends, I invite you to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you've done it before or maybe you never have done this in your lifetime, but would you open your heart to the love of Jesus, the love that he poured out on the cross, giving forgiveness for all of our stuff, no matter our story. 
His forgiveness is complete because of his great love for you, not because of what we've deserved, but because of his great love. And if you'd like to do that, if you're present, if you're in the courtyard, in the sanctuary, would you just like lift up your hand and say, that's me, yes. Someone who's saying yes to Jesus. Anybody in the courtyard, I can, I can kind of look out and see you there. And if you're online and want to say yes to Jesus right now, we have pastors online right now with you. And all you have to do is type in the words, yes, that's me. Or if you're on our website, you can go over to sm4.org and simply go to our virtual connection card and let us know that you're saying yes to Jesus. We want to put resources and helps into your hands because we're in this together. God is with you, but so are we. And it's an honor to be with you. Church, you're loved. We'll see you soon.